Acts 4, and let's do the smart thing and pray before we get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning, thankful for those that you brought out, and for those that couldn't be here today due to sickness or traveling, I pray you'd be with them in all ways and all things. And as always, just let your spirit do the teaching, we do the listening, and we stop and say thank you in your name. Amen. Now, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in Acts. Last week was the Christmas program. And I think as they mentioned during announcements there, there's copies of the DVD back there. If you'd like to go ahead and grab a copy of that, the kids did a wonderful, wonderful job. So we're back into our study here in the book of Acts. Now, just a little bit of a recap from where we were. It started back in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were heading to the temple to pray. And through the Lord, they did this amazing healing on this man that had been a cripple for over 40 years. For over 40 years, this man had not been able to walk, and his life consisted of just begging. And now he's able to walk, and he's healed. And they healed him in the name of Jesus. Well, the problem was, in Acts chapter 4, the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling leadership of the Jews, they didn't like that. Didn't like the idea of healing people in the name of Jesus. You've got to remember, it's just about two months earlier than this, that the Sanhedrin had Jesus put to death. So here now are people in the name of Jesus healing people. So the Sanhedrin get these guys arrested, Peter and John, and they have this little trial, if you will, where they basically stop and they say, you can't speak about Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now this is a turning point here in the book of Acts. Because if Peter and John would stop and say, okay, you're right, we won't mention Jesus, the church would not be what it is today. So what did Peter and John do? Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Right there, the church takes a stand. It says that they're not going to back down from the name of Jesus, and they will still proclaim it, and they'll proclaim it boldly. This word boldly, or boldness, is repeated. In the New King James, I see it in verse 13, it's in verse 31, it's in verse 29. And if you remember from our study a couple weeks ago, boldness means to speak confidently, it means to speak plainly, it means to speak without fear. We talked about how a lot of Christians today, we're not very bold in what we believe or what we think. In fact, we're very kind of wishy-washy on stuff. And we made the joke a couple weeks ago that we say things like, I think maybe, possibly, probably... God can help you through this. No, boldly. I know the Lord Jesus can help you through this. I know that Christ can bring peace to the middle of this storm. We have the answer in Jesus, and we need to be bold as how we present that. In the world that we live in today, as soon as you mention Jesus, it becomes divisive. We know that. But you see here from the book of Acts, they were not willing to back down on the name of of Jesus. So, what happens then? Verse 21, they threaten them as best as they can, then they let them go. So, we've had one turning point in the book of Acts. Were they going to back down on saying the name of Jesus? They wouldn't. Now we have another turning point. How's the church going to handle this? You've got to remember, this Sanhedrin is the group of people that killed Jesus once again just two months ago. When just a couple chapters, they kill Stephen. These guys mean business. The church could have went and hid now in a corner... The church could have said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to call a quick meeting. We're still going to talk about God, but just don't mention Jesus. No. They come, they get together, they do the smart thing, and they pray. Let's pick up our study here in verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, 
You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of this earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Once again, look at that repetition of boldness, confidently, plainly, without fear. I think this is important. There's a lot of things we can learn from this simple little prayer. First thing that you see, verse 23 When threatened, when faced with difficulties, they went to their companions. They went to the body of Christ for support. That's what the body of Christ is here for. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. That's not how God designed you. God has designed you to be part of a bigger group, the body of Christ. I run into a lot of people that say they love the Lord, they love Jesus, they love God, but they just don't want to do anything with the church. I'm a pastor. Sometimes I don't want to do anything with the church either. I get it. But... We're the body of Christ. It is difficult being a body. It is difficult to get hundreds of people on the same page. Sometimes we think it's easier just to let it go. No. We are designed to be a body in which you see here in the early church when faced with difficulty, they came together as one. And then what did they do? They prayed. And how did they pray? Verse 24, one accord. This phrase, one accord, is repeated numerous times throughout the book of Acts. It is reference to a group of people moving intensely together as one. And they prayed together as one. When faced with difficulty, they came together for encouragement in the body, and they did the smart thing, and they prayed. And that's what we want to set the tone for and what we do out here. You know, we have a Saturday morning men's prayer time. We have Wednesday prayer times for men and women. There's a group that meets on Monday and pray. We do a prayer request time before Wednesday church. There's the prayer line, prayer sheets, etc. We want to be a church that prays. We want to come together as one accord, and we may not know your family member, we may not understand your situation, but we want to be a church that prays over it and comes together as one, one accord. You see that here in the book of Acts, body coming together as one for prayer and encouragement. Note what they did. They got together and they prayed. How simple. Now, we don't know for sure, but if we look at this, Verse 23, it says, They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. It doesn't look like they analyzed it. They didn't gossip over it. They just prayed over it. Well, we can learn a lot from that. I have no problems with us Christians, us venting when there's difficult times. i got a few people I can call up and vent. I can obviously talk to my wife, uh, you know, Richard and Betsy out here. I can call them up sometimes and say, Hey, listen, you got a few minutes. I just want to kind of get this off my chest. I kind of vent to them for a little bit. Nice thing about it is it goes on for a minute or two. We talk about a few scriptures that deal with it, and then we pray about it. That's a nice setup. So here's the problem, though. Some of us, instead of venting, just constantly spend time complaining. Now, venting, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you've got a tough time at work, if you've got a tough situation at home, in your marriage, with your kids, at life, I don't know, health, get a hold of us. Hey, you know, I'm struggling with this situation at work. It's a really difficult situation. I could appreciate some prayer on that. Hey, let's hear that. I'll give you a couple verses. We'll pray about it. That's venting. Complaining? I got this situation at work. And I don't know why it's always me. But it's always me. 
I always get the horrible people to work with, and everybody there just doesn't like me, and I don't know why God keeps giving me these things. Obviously, he doesn't care, and he doesn't like me. That's complaining. There's a huge difference. You know what? If you look throughout the Bible, God can't stand complainers. He can't. Way back when the nation of Israel left Egypt, and God had provided them miraculously food, water, safety. I mean, think of all the things that God did for them. Gave them the manna every day in the morning. And if you go study out what manna is, I encourage you to do this. It's like donuts every morning laying on the grass. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. If you're not a donut person, they had meat, fresh meat right there for you. They had water. You had shade in the day. You had a fire by night. The Bible says that their sandals did not wear out. They had everything. But what did the Bible say they did? They just constantly complained. See, when we complain, we're basically saying, Lord, your provision for me is not good enough. When we complain, we're saying, Lord, the job you've given me is not the right job. The family you've given me is not the right family. The relationships you've given me are not the right relationship. The life you've given me, Lord, is not the right life. And so I have the right to complain. We've got to be careful about that. What you see here in the early church, it sure seems like they came, they reported, they prayed. I like that. Let's get the facts out, and let's pray over those facts and move on. I've been involved with prayer groups over the years where it may be a 45-minute prayer group. It's 35 minutes of talking and 10 minutes of praying. That's not a prayer time. Sometimes we've got to be careful. We have a tendency sometimes as a church to analyze and gossip and complain over something and then say, well, we should probably pray about this. Let's do more praying than saying And let's really focus on that. You see this with the early church. This could have really have gone a negative route. But it didn't. They just gave it over to the Lord in prayer. And what was their prayer? Look how simple it is. First thing in verse 24, they prayed in one accord. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. What what a great way to start. Now, I normally don't do this, but I think this is important. Flip with me to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. We're going to go look at one verse. Most of the time I don't send you guys to go look at one verse, but this one verse is a verse that should be marked, underlined, starred, circled, whatever you like to do in your Bible. Jeremiah 32, please. What you see here is as they pray, they start right from the beginning with an understanding of who God is. Jeremiah 32, please. They said in Acts 4, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea, that's all that's in them. Look at what Jeremiah says here in Jeremiah 32. Look at verse 17. Look how Jeremiah starts out his prayer. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too difficult for you. Look at that beginning of a prayer by Jeremiah. God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your power. There is nothing too difficult for you. For some reason, and I don't understand why we don't get this. We struggle with this point. And when I was going through this lesson, preparing it, I kept thinking, how do we make this point How do I make this point so clear? Because this point seems to be so clear, but we just don't seem to get it. It's almost like it's too simple. And here's the simpleness of this. If God can create the heavens and the earth, whatever you're struggling with or facing, being at home, in your marriage, or kids, or work, or health, the Lord can handle it. If He can make the heavens and the earth, nothing is too difficult for Him. But this is what we do. We believe God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing for six days, but yet... This problem at work, this problem at work is so overwhelming. More overwhelming than creating the world out of nothing? 
We have to understand. And you see Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32 stopping and saying, God, you've created everything. Nothing's too difficult for you. You see in Acts chapter 4, the early church saying, Lord, you've created everything. When you get that mindset, the first point in your prayer is that Lord has created everything. He has done it all. What could you possibly give him now that's too difficult for him to work with? What a great way to start out prayer. Lord, you've created it all. You're God over everything. You are worthy of my praise. You can handle everything. Great way to start out. So that's how they start out. He can take care of it. He has done it. Nothing is too difficult for him. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you are thinking in your mind, well, nothing's too difficult for him, but then you're not hearing the point. Nothing is too difficult for him. What's the next thing we see them do in prayer? In verses 25 and 26, we see them quote scripture. And they quote quote this great passage, it's basically a prophecy, saying how the world will try to stand up against Christ. How the world is going to try to fight the Lord, if you will. Well, obviously, what a silly point that is. But they knew what scripture said, and they knew that the scripture was being applied right now. I think we can learn a lot from this. I believe as a church and as individuals, we should pray scripture. Because I think it's so vital. Absolutely vital. If there's a situation you're struggling with or a situation you're dealing with, find a scripture that deals with that and pray for that. You know, we do this at home with our boys. You know, late in our, our fourth one has a tendency sometimes to be a little too rough, tough, and mean. So the verse for him is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another. And Dawn and I pray that all the time. Lord, help Layden to be kind to one another. Maybe you know somebody that's going through a difficult time and they need peace. Pray John 14.27 for him, where Jesus said, My peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Put their name right into that. Lord, I want to pray for Sue. I pray that my peace, your peace would be with Sue, that your peace would be given to Sue. Put her name right in that scripture. Maybe you're struggling with a sin or a temptation. Find a verse that deals with that and put your name right in that verse. I think it's a wonderful thing to do. The Bible says that God's word does not return void. It's not going to return empty. It will accomplish its purpose. So, my words return empty. God's word doesn't. Let's be a people that pray. That pray when these difficult times come. It is not wrong to call up your brothers and sisters in the Lord and say, I'm having a tough day today. Can you encourage me? Can you let me vent for a second? Can we pray together? Let's not analyze it. Let's not gossip over it. But let's vent and let's pray about it. Let's be that people. That's one thing that we have tried to ingrain into our boys as much as possible, is being people that pray. People that pray. And it's amazing how we, as we've gotten older, have lost that childlike faith in prayer. Isn't it? My boys pray over everything. I was joking earlier at the 830 service that we kind of had what I call the Hanukkah of Christmas this year. We had Christmas Monday, then we had a Christmas Tuesday, then we had a Christmas Wednesday, and we had a Christmas Thursday. By the time Thursday came around, I love Jesus, but I don't care he was born anymore. You know, let's just move past that. Friday, they got to go shopping because people gave them Christmas money. So we worked it out that they made their little list of everything that they wanted. And so we went into the store. And as we got into the store to go Christmas shopping with the Christmas money, the boys said, Dad, can we pray that they have the items? So we huddled around a cart at Walmart and we prayed for Buzz Lightyear to be there. And I can't remember what else it was. Now, I don't know if that's materialism or if that's spiritualism. I can't tell. But in their little minds, you pray about everything. And I thought, okay, Lord, this is good. We as a church have lost that. 
We, 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 yeah, I mean, we pray. We, we pray a lot. But in your heart, when the going gets tough, do you ever stop and say, Ah, Lord God, you have created the heavens and the earth by your outstretched arm and power, and there's nothing too difficult for thee. So, Lord, this problem I'm facing at work t- tomorrow is nothing. Lord, this health issue is nothing. Lord, this relationship issue is nothing. Because you can handle this. See, the early church got that. They were being threatened with their lives. And the first thing they did is pray to the creator of the universe. And then they prayed scripture that says, Lord, we know this is what's going to happen. See, take us now to verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. There's two points in there. The first point in verse 27, these are the people against them. Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and Israel. Everybody's against them. I think this is another important point to know about prayer. The first one is that we understand that God created it all. Nothing's too difficult for Him. The second point is we pray Scripture. The third point is we accept that there will be opposition. We accept that there will be difficult times. Jesus said in John 16, 33, In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. I think sometimes as Christians, we are blindsided by the fact that we face difficult times. And their prayer in verse 27, they list by name the people that are going to cause them problems. They're not surprised by this. They're not shocked by this. They accept the fact there will be opposition. You have opposition in your life right now. It may be an individual. It may be an individual that you are close with. It may be an individual that you just have a fleeting relationship with, maybe at work or something. But you have opposition right now. God knows that and you know that. Your opposition may be more physical. Maybe it's a health issue. It may be more mental. Maybe there's a struggle you have right now. Maybe it's more spiritual, a sin, a temptation. You will have trouble. And what are they basically saying in verse 28? God, you know this. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They're saying, God, you know these people in our lives. You know the problems we're having. God is not sitting up in heaven right now, surprised by the difficulties you're facing. If you have a situation at work that's difficult, the Lord knows that. If your marriage is hurting, God knows that. If you have a health issue right now, God knows that. And look at verse 28. For the church, those people were purposed beforehand to be opposition. See, here's the problem. We have a tendency as Christians, our prayers usually are, Lord, remove the problem. There's a problem at work. Lord, remove that person. Instead of saying, Lord, give me more grace, mercy, and unconditional love and patience to deal with them. Lord, remove this issue from my life that's causing me problems. Maybe instead we ought to pray, Lord, give me the strength to be a witness during this difficult time. We have such a tendency to want that issue or problem to be removed where God says sometimes, I'm allowing this situation into your life to help you, to grow you, and to make you stronger. Note... In this prayer, they never once say, Lord, remove Pilate, remove Herod, get rid of the Sanhedrin. They never once say any of that. What is their prayer? Verse 29, give us more boldness in a difficult time. Maybe that should be our prayer more often. Not, Lord, get them out of the way, but Lord, help me to love them. Lord, help me to forgive them. Help me to work through this. I don't know. It's really difficult to pray that sometimes. Because my human nature is, Lord, I want it over. 
we got some sickness going through the urban house right now. And with seven of us, it just is dominoes. We know it. So we're down to, I think, the last two that haven't had it yet. And it looks like they're getting it now. So what's my human fleshly response? Lord, take it away. And that's what I pray. Obviously, I do. I'm going to be honest with you. I never once said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I love seeing my kids sick. Lord, that makes me happy. Help us to grow closer as a family. No, Lord, please take it away. It's difficult to say, Lord, I accept and I allow this difficult situation in my life knowing it will grow me in you. That is a tough thing to pray. But what you see here in the early church is instead of asking for these people to be removed, it was simply verse 29, give us boldness to be more strong in what we say and proclaim. We can learn an awful lot from that. Boldness. And I will repeat, the definition of boldness is to speak plainly, to speak confidently, and without fear. These guys were threatened. These guys were threatened for not speaking in the name of Jesus. And like I said, in just a couple short chapters, Stephen's going to be martyred by the Sanhedrin in front of them. These guys mean business. Instead of running and hiding, instead of throwing a fit, the church just prays. And they pray for that boldness. And what's the result of this prayer? Take a look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. The Lord heard, the Lord answered, and they were filled with the Spirit to have that boldness. Boy, we could learn a lot from that. We could learn a lot from saying, Lord, I'm not going to run and hide from these problems, but Lord, I'm going to ask you, the creator of the universe, to take care of them for me. I'm going to ask for more boldness. I'm going to ask for more strength to boldly proclaim you. Now, what we wanted to do here is we wanted to finish with communion today because we feel it's kind of important on a message like this to say, let's go the next step. We could sit here, and as we sit here, we could stop and just say something simple to the fact of, hey, great points. Yeah, I want to pray more. Let's really look at this for a second. Go back. First point. When you're faced with difficulties, trials, and tribulations, do you realize that God has given you the body of Christ? Or are you solo Christian? I can handle this. No one needs to know. I don't want to bother anybody with my problems. I love you, and I don't know how else to say this, but you're going against the Word of God on that. The Word of God encourages you, and dare I say, commands you to allow the church, the body of Christ, to encourage you and help you. That's the first point. Next point, when it comes to difficult times, do you realize that you're praying to the creator of the universe and that nothing is too difficult for him? Or do you go into prayer, dare I say, as a spiritual wimp? Lord, I hope you can do something with this one. Oh, Lord, this is a tough one. I, I, I think you can do something here. No, he's the creator of the universe. Do you pray scripture? I can't stress that to you enough. Do you pray scripture? Find that passage that deals with that issue, that problem. Insert name and pray. It's a wonderful thing. Next one. Do you realize that there will be opposition in your life? There will be difficulties. I think sometimes as Christians, we almost have this rosy mindset of, I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, so therefore nothing bad will ever happen. Now, there will be trials and tribulations in our life. Verse 28, God knows that, and he's there to help you through it. And lastly, when you pray, what's more of your focus? Lord, remove the problem, or Lord, strengthen me to deal with the problem. Help us, Lord, to be strengthened to deal with the problem and to proclaim boldly 
what you have done and what you're going to do. There's a lot we can learn here, a lot we can learn when it comes to the book of Acts in this. Now, we're going to finish here with communion, but before we do that, I always think it's important to kind of share a couple things, and I want to use this as a stepping stone. One of the things that before you partake of communion, it says in Corinthians, it says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. See, before we partake of communion, God says, I want you to stop and examine yourself. I think there's two types of examinations we need to do. One, if you're born again and saved here this morning, the examination is, okay, am I living the life like I should be living? What areas am I struggling in? What areas am I sinning in? What areas am I weak in? I want to give those areas to the Lord. I heard a pastor say one time that communion is the closest we get to the feet of Jesus on the cross. And as we get a chance to partake of this, this juice represents his blood. His blood that took away our sins. And the bread represents the body. The body that was broken that took the punishment and the beating for us. So as we partake of this, God says, examine yourself and say, do I fully understand this? Do I fully grasp this? Do I realize the power that's there? I encourage you, and we'll have a time of prayer here in a second, that you examine yourself. Examine your life, your witness, your marriage, your relationships with others. Examine that and give it over to the Lord and ask for healing and forgiveness in those areas that need to be healed and forgiven. Now, if you're not saved here this morning, I just want to boldly, I hope, proclaim this to you. You know, what we believe and what we teach is Jesus is the way, the truth, and life and the only way to get to heaven. We firmly believe in a loving God. I believe in a loving God that loves us unconditionally. But the one requirement in that loving God is that there has to be this perfection to enter heaven. Now, I know I'm not perfect, and I know you're not perfect. That's the beauty of what Jesus Christ does. Heaven is a perfect place, and we must be perfect to enter that. Through Christ, through Jesus, He takes all my sin, all my junk and everything, and through His blood, He wipes me completely clean. The punishment that I could not pay myself, the debt that I could not pay myself, He says, I will pay that off completely through what I did on the cross. See, when Jesus died on the cross, He basically said, I will cover the sin of James for all of eternity. What a beautiful picture that is. What's my obligation? To accept that, to believe that. And that's what it is. So, as a Christian, I want to proclaim to you, if you don't know the Lord, that's what it means, is to truly stop and say, I have a debt of sin that cannot be paid, and Jesus is the only one that can pay it for me. And I think it's important before we partake of communion to proclaim that to you, the beauty of that. Communion is a wonderful time to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be made right with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, what we're going to do here is um, I'm going to have Jonathan Morris come up, and Jonathan serves out here at church, and he's actually going to lead you guys in communion. And what I would like to do is this, is as Jonathan's leading you guys in communion, and, um, and they're going to be doing the worship, etc., I'm going to be in the back, and if you have anything you want to pray over, come up, come back to me. I'd love to get a chance to pray with you. Maybe there's a situation you're going through right now, and you're like, well, I really need some prayer. We want to be there for that. Maybe you are struggling with something and you need a, a spiritual healing in your life. Come back, let's pray together. Or maybe there's a situation going on where you just want encouragement. Come back, let's pray. Or maybe you've never really known the Lord and you want more answers, you want to pray for that. Come back and pray. 
Jonathan will lead you guys in communion as a body, and I'll be back there in the back to do that. Marv, if you want to come forward here. Marv, if I'm praying with somebody, Marv will close you out with prayer. So I'll get over to Jonathan here for communion, and Marv and the guys, and I'll be back there to pray if anybody wants to pray.